I forgot that we drink during this. <laughs> like, it just has been a while. I'm also not that excited to drink right now because I drank a lot in Portland. I was talking to Rebecca about this. I don't remember if I messaged you this, but we were saying how secondary cities have to like convince people to move there. Like your Portland, right. your Austin, Denver, these places have to like give the people what they want for people to move there, which is why almost all secondary cities are known for breweries, distilleries, and wineries. Anyways, welcome back to Bottomless Broadway, where we talk musicals over mimosas. Um, this is our first episode of the 2023 season. So as usual, we're going to go through all of the musicals that qualify for best musical this year and potentially some musical revivals. Um, and today we're starting with Kimberly Akimbo. I did not prep five words. <laughs> okay. I did. Great. I'll rapidly think of them while you talk about yours then. So mine is a misunderstanding of what's beautiful. Interesting. Which I just thought of today as I was listening to the cast album because I don't think I realized when I was watching the show, like the general theme of beautiful it's like a big part of the make a wish song where she's just mm -hmm. like she's just like i want to be beautiful for a day and like everything will be beautiful for a day and my home will be beautiful for a day and then her aunt who like i massively missed out on how amazing her and her songs were while watching the show <laughs> because i fucking love all of them um mm -hmm. in better she's also like this dress was so beautiful these rings were so beautiful and it's like always kind of underscored right um and i feel like this whole family like the whole main family just thinks that like everything about their life is ugly and then there's a lot of like outside people that are just like i don't really get why you all feel this way mm -hmm. yeah I, that's fair. I think the cast album for me also did a lot. So my um, five words that I just thought of are, it just keeps getting better. Because I did see this off Broadway and I liked it, but I felt like it was like a qualified like. Mm -hmm. And like when I saw it on Broadway, I did like it more, but it's still like, I don't know, something about it just makes it really hard for me to talk about. I feel like it's just hard to describe it to people and like hard to like sort of come to terms with like what I think of it too but then like when the cast album came out you know I was telling you I started listening to it and I was also like okay yeah no this like I definitely like the music a lot more once I heard the cast album which is honestly probably a common trend with me and um I, yeah I definitely just appreciate it a lot more now than I feel like I did I still feel like it's difficult to talk about like if you're giving someone a summary of it so good luck but um yeah I will say like I don't really think the cast album made as much of a difference for me as it did for a strange loop oh I agree a strange loop I was like what the fuck is this <laughs> when we when the album came out I was like this is wonderful mm -hmm. um and I don't think I had like as strong a feeling because I never disliked Kimberly Akimbo it was right. just like I really did not understand why everyone was like, oh, this is probably going to win Best Musical. And uh -huh. I mean, I still don't really like – I mean, like I can see it happening, but I definitely feel like that means we're not having a very strong season. Right. But like it's pretty good. Like the cast yeah. album is solid. 
I mean, yeah, like, because during the show, I was like, when people were talking about best musical, I was like, sure, I believe that. But then when people started talking about best score, I was like, really? But, um, and I'm definitely like a melody first person rather than like a lyric first person when listening to music. But I think a lot of the score does have to do with really clever ways that the lyrics sort of match the songs. A lot of them aren't very like melodic songs that you would just like want to listen to on their own or like hum to yourself or anything. But I think that put together, they do really work extremely well. And that's also part of what listening to the cast album gave to me that I didn't Mm -hmm. really get. Yeah. So... I guess I will move into the summary. So our main character is Kimberly. She has this disease where she ages four to five times faster than like the average person. So she's in high school, but she looks like a really old grandma, which is obviously a terrible way to experience high school. But on top of that, her family is like pretty fucked up. There's a lot to be revealed kind of like towards the end of the show about like just how fucked up they are. But I think for now, like all you need to know is just like, Her mom and dad are both sort of deadbeats and just, like, people that didn't really want kids. Like, she was not a planned child. And, like, on top of that, they're also really unhappy that she has this disease and will probably die, like, before she turns 18. They don't treat her very well. Like, they love her. Like, there's, like, very, like, redeeming moments of her parents where, like, you kind of see that, like, they are still parents that love her, but they just don't, like show it really well and they're generally like still pretty selfish and self-involved and just not very parental um she also has an aunt who is a criminal and (laughs) they've just moved to a new town in new jersey where she's starting on a new school she doesn't really know why they've moved but she makes some friends there's like four weird ice skaters that are also kind of outcasts that she somewhat becomes friends with and then there's one guy named Seth who works at the ice rink and is also just kind of a weird guy he's like obsessed with anagrams and they share a class and they start becoming really good friends and that's kind of where we're at with most Mm -hmm. of the show and this is kind of interesting because um the book writer and lyric writer for this is David Lindsay Aubert And he actually also wrote the original play that this was based on. And that play was like 10 years ago. And um, so music is by Janine Tussori. And they had worked together on Shrek the musical, which is just funny to think about when you compare this um, musical to it. And they just wanted to be able to like work together without needing to like show stuff before it was ready or just like give it like a little more time he was like oh like do you have anything you want to like maybe do together and Janine Tesori pulled out this play and was like I think this would make a really good musical and at first David Lindsay Abair was like what like I don't see that at all but I guess they like talked about it more and here we are (laughs) so it is like a weirdly upbeat musical like the topics are not very happy and some of them are like sort of sensitive but they kind of just like go around it like they just like dodge the sensitiveness mm-hmm. and just like make it very like fairy tale-esque yeah I and I think that's partially also why I have so much trouble like describing this to people is because if you just say like oh there's this girl who has this disease and her family's kind of fucked up it sounds like kind of a downer but it's mm-hmm. like pretty optimistic the whole way through and I remember at intermission I was like how is this gonna end because you just don't have 
any idea where this is gonna go because like the whole tone of it it's it's more like wacky shenanigans are happening and there are a lot of serious moments too so i think it's a really interesting way how they like sort of balance that yeah i will say like okay like i won't talk about the ending in detail until maybe the end of our episode when we like yeah talk about spoilers but like it's still very weird to me. Like, it ends very upbeat, like you said. And, like, everyone kind of, like, leaves feeling happy. But if you marinate on the situation a little longer, <laughs> you're like, wait, that still really sucks. Like, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, I've had, like, thoughts on it where it, like, it works while you're in the theater, but you just can't think about it too much afterwards. The other thing is that I think this is a really well-constructed show, like, the songs make sense where they are like everything sort of flows well like there's a good balance of like you know the upbeat and like the really sort of emotional moments but it it also feels small like it it feels like an off-broadway show to me and like yeah it it's just like a small sort of like family drama with a little bit of like teenage high school drama and so you know when people do start talking about it for like best musical and stuff it just like it doesn't feel like a best musical winner to me just like in terms of scale which is fine and like you know like yeah like you said like the cast is really small and even though like we both enjoyed the cast album it sounds like there's not really like one shining number to me like there's a lot of songs Mm -hmm. that I really enjoy like I was saying like I really like better I really like um this time like there's a lot of songs that Mm -hmm. do like are nice but none of them seem like something like this really standout thing like i feel like a lot of winners of best score usually have like like a single basically that like everybody knows and this show doesn't have like any song that really stands out that much to me yeah i'd agree first song is skater planet so this is kind of one of the main sets i guess oh did you see how the setting was like 1999 before kids had cell phones yeah (laughs) um yeah so i guess that explains why skating is so popular well it was funny because there's like a side plot about there being checks in the mail and at first i was like who is mailing their checks in like this day and age? And then I remembered it was before kids had cell phones. So that made <laughs> a lot more sense. Yeah. So Skater Planet is this ice rink. Um, it's where Seth works and it's where the four other kids, Aaron, Delia, Martin, and Teresa are like hanging out. Um, it kind of becomes very clear in this song that they all like each other. I don't remember like exactly the order of all these people but it's like maybe like Aaron likes Martin Martin likes Teresa Teresa likes Delia and Delia likes Aaron or something like there's this like there's this love square but two of them are gay and two of them are straight and it's never going to work out but none of them know that (laughs) and they're basically just like yeah like it's Friday night is we're in New Jersey and like everybody's making out at the mall down the street but we're here at the ice rink because we want to be because my crush is here And Kimberly's there and she basically is done skating and like waiting for her dad to pick her up who's like 90 hours late. (laughs) But then she starts talking to like Seth also because Seth works at the ice rink and Seth's character is a little like weird to me 
because he's like really sweet and he obviously cares about Kimberly a lot. But our introduction to him is he's like, oh, hey, like, you know, that assignment that we have in bio where we have to talk about a disease. And he was like, would you want to partner because I want to do your disease? Like, I know he's a teenager and he's supposed to be like maybe a little insensitive about social norms and stuff. But I was like, so he's just using her because he wants to talk about her disease. So like his like introduction he wants to just... do less research because he <laughs> yeah, probably knows everything about her own disease. So his introduction just like came off a little wrong to me. But it's a really cute like first ensemble song Mm -hmm. also i just love the orchestrations in this show because a lot of the songs could feel like kind of basic modern musical theater songs you know like they could sound a lot like other songs but i feel like orchestrations kind of set them apart like there's a saxophone in the first song that i feel like really just elevates it in a different way and i think a lot of those are so deliberate and it's really cool the song is it's a really good introduction of also the kind of town they're in they're kind of like we're in buttfuck nowhere like the way they describe the town is in relation to like other slightly larger towns in new jersey the thing is i don't know those other towns either (laughs) they're like the song is basically like we're 40 minutes south of buttfuck nowhere and i'm like where (laughs) um oh they actually said buttcrack township so we didn't just make that up (laughs) It's Saturday night at Skater Planet and the Zamboni's on the ice. So we hang around here waiting. All the action's at the mall. But we'd rather be here skating. The action's at the mall. But we'd rather be here skating. In New Jersey. Like at the end of this song, Kimberly is basically sitting outside of the skate rink for like three hours after it closes, waiting for her dad, who is an alcoholic, to come pick her up. And when her dad shows up, like he's a shitty dad, but he's not like abusive or like anything that you would kind of like expect of your Mm -hmm. stereotypical alcoholic dad. He's just kind of like, please don't tell your mom that I was drinking. Just tell her that (laughs) we were late because I had car troubles. Both the parents are pretty interesting. Like you said, um, they are kind of shitty parents, but they really do care about her. And, but at the same time, you sort of see their own struggles with both what she's going through and in terms of her disease and also just their life in general. Actually, one of the things that, the writer David Lindsay Abair mentioned was that he wrote this 10 years ago. He was in his 20s, but now he's has two kids and stuff. And so he has like more of the parents perspective, too. And he can kind of like understand them more as well. So I think that really shows. I mean, I haven't read or seen the original play, so I don't know how much of their perspective we get. Next song's the mom one. Hello, darling. This is actually maybe the one song that I enjoyed more in the mm-hmm. show. I think I just love kind of like stream of consciousness things like the ones from Beetlejuice I also really liked oh yeah now we're in like Kimberly's house and only the mom's there because she and her dad are presumably still on the road from the ice rink um and she basically has this like camcorder out and both of her hands are in casts and she just like is talking to her unborn baby like she's evidently pregnant which is really weird she kind of says like i'm gonna die soon just kidding but it's like 
okay, but why are you recording this? Um, and she's just like, when you grow up, people will tell you that I was a bad person, but I was not a bad person. And you have to defend me. Yeah, it's like a funny song. But the main thing is just like, she's so worried about, I think, like her husband and other people talking shit about her to her child. Mm-hmm. Like she kind of um, knows she's a bad person because that's why she's so defensive about it. But she also seems genuinely excited to be pregnant again. Yeah. Like, that's, like, the weird thing because it kind of, like, there's so many parts that, like, don't add up for me kind of because, like, we see Kimberly. We see her deadbeat dad. Then we see her mom who's literally talking to a camcorder to her future child being, like, please make sure that people don't remember me as a shitty person. But then at the same time, she's, like, I'm so excited to have this baby. This baby is so precious to me. Mm -hmm. So... There's just, like, a lot of questions in my mind at this point in the show of, like, what kind of mom she is. It does come through a little later where I do think she is a little disappointed that Kimberly turned out the way she turned out. Because, you know, I mean, you know that whole thing about, like, everyone wants their child to, like, be born healthy and to not have to deal with issues because it makes it tougher on the child in life. But then also it makes it tougher on the parents, too. And they got pregnant really young. And so I think she did want to always have kids. Um, and this is speculation, but I, I feel like she always wanted to have kids. But then when Kimberly came out with like her disease, it was just kind of disappointing to her. But also she tried her best, which, you know, everyone can judge her on that. But she did also want still a chance to be like a regular mom. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Like, that's kind of like a big thing on this show for me is like I feel like everyone can kind of agree that Kimberly's parents suck but I feel like there's a lot about them that's also like relatable and like worthy of empathy it's kind of like just that thing where it's like if you're not in their position you can't really judge right because it must really suck to have a child that you know is gonna like die after 16 years and there's like a lot of reasons that like people have children i'm not saying like this is right but like part of it is kind of like your child is this investment like not necessarily that they have to be like rich and pay you back but it's like you're hoping that they can you know take you to the hospital when you're old like be there for you when you're an old person like that's part of why people want kids which is Mm -hmm. totally normal to me and like they don't get they don't want to get like too attached also and yeah, it's it's a little utilitarian, but they're kind of like, OK, well, this daughter is kind of a, a sunk investment. So let's look forward to the <laughs> next thing. Like, it sounds really bad to say, but I feel like that, I think it's like has to be like kind of a way that they conceptualize it. Yeah. And like even, you know, parents who have children that are born with like less intense, less chronic diseases like parents that have like mildly autistic children or like born missing a limb or something are terrified to have another child i kind of feel for them even though they're pretty shitty yeah and i and i think that's what sort of makes this show interesting especially after listening to the album where i had more time to sort of just think about how everything's laid out and the actual like you know structure of the lyrics and the songs and stuff that i didn't quite get in the show because in the show it's basically all a family sitcom like you know how in sitcoms a lot of the times they're not necessarily like real people they're kind of just like there for like a joke or for you know just there to serve a purpose but and that's kind of how it felt watching the show it was 
like, you know, you can paint them in broad strokes. But once you start thinking about it afterwards, and especially listening back on the songs, it's you can really understand where they're coming from, which I think is really cool. Anyway, darling, I have things to tell you. And this video may be the only way to do it because, well, there's a high probability that I might be dead soon. So I won't be around when you're growing up and this video is the only way for you to know who I was. And I want you to know who I was because people are going to tell you things about me that just aren't true. Just aren't true. Just aren't true. So Make-A-Wish is probably the closest. Well, it is an I Want song. Kimberly's expected lifespan is like, I think it's about 16 years. So and she's just about to turn 16. So she writes a letter to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. I don't know. I, I really like this song in certain ways. Like I like the way that it develops and how it the shape of the song. But it's, again, not necessarily a song I would listen to she gets three wishes to say and then they pick one of them she's like oh it's like a genie except you only get one wish so it's both equal parts funny but also kind of really sad because for her third wish she can't decide she's like oh it's like you know my last wish i gotta make it count and she goes through this whole arc of like all these different things that she wants to do that we all know she wouldn't necessarily have time to do all of them in her lifetime but the the last wish that she sort of comes upon which you can tell is like the thing that actually means the most to her is just having a family dinner like with both of her parents present a home-cooked meal and it's it's just really sad how much they've sort of neglected her in terms of like providing that family life i love how practical this girl is she's like this is the make a wish foundation they have limited funds. Whatever <laughs> I tell them, they're going to pick the cheapest one. So I need to think of the expensive shit. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, like her requests are pretty out there. She's like, yeah, like for the first one with the fashion model, she's like, I want paparazzi. I want Andy Lubitz to take my picture. And then the second one, what is it? She wants like a big yacht party with like a ton of friends. And it's kind of like clear when she says it that she doesn't really have 50 friends to invite to a yacht right. party. So it's almost like she would be partying with strangers, which is like, again, really sad. But she's just like, this day would be beautiful. And it's just like, she just wants so badly to like, be a popular girl with a good home basically like at the end when she talks about the family meal it's definitely really really touching but i think like what comes before that well is like first of all foreshadowing and second of all just like also really cool of her because like she's dying and mm -hmm. she feels like an 80 year old too right yeah and she's just, like, thinking of all these, like, adventures that she wants to have, which is also really cool characterization for her. She just mm -hmm. wants to do so much with her life, like, probably more than regular people do. <sighs> all right. First wish. I want to be a model for a day. A famous fashion muse in a black Dior cocktail dress. And a pair of Jimmy Choo's I'll run from paparazzi And throw some diva fits Then hurry to a photo shoot With Annie Leibovitz Everyone will stare at me But not in the usual way They'll say that I am beautiful They'll say 
anagram. That's where we see Seth more. Right. So Seth is like, yeah, I love anagrams. I won some competition for like the fastest anagrammer. And he <laughs> likes doing people's names, which I think is kind of cool. It's better than horoscope, in my opinion. But mm-hmm. he asks to do Kimberly's name. Kimberly Lavaco is her full name. I actually don't know if I like this song. Because Kimberly is talking about how much she starts to like Seth and how much he doesn't judge her for her condition and everything. But at the same time, you hear Seth in the background literally like coming up with different anagrams. He's like, oh, my God, I found mackerel in your name. And I mean, okay, it is kind of cute. But um, but it is also, I assume, where the title of the show comes from, Kimberly Akimbo, because Kimberly Lavaco anagrams to Cleverly Akimbo. I just thought it was her name until she introduced herself as Kimberly Lavaco. And I was like, well, that's confusing. <laughs> so the next song, Better. Oh, it's the only explicit song on the album. <laughs> that's no so funny. I love it. Bonnie Milligan plays the aunt. She kind of shows up at Kimberly's high school, has apparently been sleeping in the high school library for an unknown <laughs> amount of time. She's incredible. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And basically, you find out that Kimberly's mom and dad moved from Lodi without the aunt and they're kind of hiding from her like we don't really know why they don't want to see the aunt but they're like we want nothing to do with the aunt and we and through the song you kind of assume that it's because the aunt is a major criminal she shows up at kimberly's high school and basically sings this song and i think in front of all her friends yes which (laughs) as a teenager would definitely be the most embarrassing thing in the world but I kind of love her. Oh, she's great. There are some parts of the song that do feel like life lessons. Like, I don't know if anyone should be taking life lessons from her, but some of them feel right. Like when she's like, you got to grab the good <laughs> stuff before it's gone. I'm like, yes, that is true of life and hotel breakfast. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're not wrong. Hotel breakfast does go out kind of quickly sometimes. Yeah, like, why do they only serve breakfast before it's time to wake up? It's I literally will get hotel breakfast and then go back to bed. Yeah. The song that this actually reminded me the most of is, uh, for the people who have seen Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Face Your Fears, that Paula sings in the first season, Uh where she's like, face your fears, and that sounds like really sound advice, but then you listen to the song and you're like, this is not good advice, because she's like, run with scissors, like, you know, do all this shitty stuff. And that's basically what the song is. She's like, I met a nice guy. He was tall. He was Greek. He was possibly gay. He needed a green card. (laughs) I needed the cash. We got married last May. (laughs) Like, you know yeah that like the the two main verses are so good like that one and then when she talks about her dress her wedding dress and then she's like yeah i stole it but it made my (laughs) shitty life better the second verse is kind of the same and honestly i was out of a job she was out of her mind is such like an underrated line the the person that's out of her mind that she's talking about is this like old lady and she's talking about how she was legally blind, so she thought that um, Aunt Deborah was her daughter. But then you just hear the chorus in the background be like, legally blind? And I think it's a yes. legally blind reference, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. This is the other song where, like, Beautiful comes back a lot because she's like, you should have seen the dress I wore. Um, it was haute couture and it was beautiful. 
And then she talks about stealing it. And then (laughs) same thing with the old lady. She's like, you should have seen the rings she wore. Let me underscore that they were beautiful. Mm -hmm. So I also kind of agree with this. Like as a fellow hoarder, I also (laughs) like to keep other beautiful things close to myself. So she's just like, yes, I stole this dress. It was beautiful. I stole the rings. They were beautiful. And now they're mine. And I'm just happy for her. (laughs) You know, you got to do the things that help you enjoy life. (laughs) Yeah, that's basically what she's saying. Deborah has two main songs and it's this song. And then her act two opener, which is how to wash a check, where she's actually getting into criminal activity. And more than this, I guess. But and both times when I saw the show before the album was out, I feel like How to Wash a Check was definitely the bigger song to me. And part of that is also just like it's a more of an ensemble number. It like, Mm -hmm. you know, involves all the other teenagers and stuff. But listening back to it, I think better is the better song like i i do like listening to it more um it has a better hook it has better like lyrics i think how to wash a check is more dramatic maybe like in the way that it like unfolds and the way that it plays out on stage but i do enjoy listening to better more so yeah i agree also all the interspersed scenes where she's just dragging a mailbox (laughs) great stuff (laughs) so much so much comedy I met a lady with dementia. She was old, she was sweet, she was legally blind. She needed a roommate, I needed a room. I was out of work, she was out of her mind. You should have seen the ring she wore. Let me understand that they were beautiful. She gave me all the ring she wore. Yeah, she thought I was her daughter, but they made my shitty life time might be my favorite song from the show which i think is a really really like poignant song it comes back later too in the score with like i i'd see like a really big effect it's a really great ballad yeah i think it's like fairly clear that this song is actually about kim because it's like father time slow down the day like keep away the night let the sun stay and then especially the line where she's like mommy wants to baby her baby wants to sleep Mm -hmm. like i think that's really heartbreaking because it's like you you know how like parents are always like oh like in the blink of the eye like my kids grown up and they really cherish like the baby years and the toddler years and all that thing and that all of that was like two years for for her before her kid like started looking like an adult it's like kind of clever that they fit it into a lullaby because i don't think they want the mom to come off as like too emotional about yeah kim you know yeah because she's supposed to be like this very narcissistic person that's why she's filming all these tapes and it also sort of shows like her mindset towards the whole time that Kim was growing up, too, which we we don't really know what Kim's life was like before the the present time that we see. So it's a little bit of insight into that. Yeah. It's maybe kind of interesting that they're choosing to have a child now because, like, they could have had one very quickly after they had Kim. Right. Um, or they could have chosen, you know, to not have one or they could have chosen to, like, think about it later after Kim dies or something. But maybe part of it is, like, 
you know, they kind of like act like they don't really care. Like him dying is like maybe not a big deal or something. But yeah, I think it like maybe does affect them. And she like wants a new baby there to fill the void. That's what I assume too. And also, again, for people who haven't seen the show, the show is really optimistic. I promise. Like <laughs> we talk about <laughs> dying really a lot, is. and it sounds like a downer, but the show is actually really upbeat. <laughs> well, they talk about dying a lot too. Like in Make a Wish, like. Kimberly is literally like, hi, Make-A-Wish Foundation. I'm sure you've seen this letter from my doctor about my life like life expectancy, which means that I qualify for a wish. Lucky me. And I'm like, uh. <laughs> yeah. Father time. From there we go straight into a daddy song which i also <laughs> like quite a bit this one was so great <laughs> it's so called happy for her and i don't remember how this gets set up but somehow buddy ends up driving both kimberly and seth to school they're like buddying it up in the back seat and but he's just like a little bit um unreasonably angry about how close they're getting which and I think this is the part where he is kind of a good dad, too. He's, like, concerned for her. He's like, oh, Seth just wants to, like, get into her pants, which is also kind of wild considering she looks like she's 70. But, you know, who knows? With but he's not boys. wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. And um, and he he just has this really funny, like, stream of consciousness patter song. At some point, Seth pulls out a muffin and is like, do you want to share my muffin? And Buddy literally, like, snatches it and throws it out the window. And, oh, my God, Justin Cooley's line reading of, that was my breakfast, just cracks me up every time. I don't know why it's so funny, but it is. Hey, you guys want to share my muffin? Nope. No food in my car. What are you doing? That was my breakfast. And they're yeah. just doing like anagrams together. It's actually really cute. But Buddy's just like gets madder and madder about it as the car it's ride like, goes what on. What a freak. Why does he have to do anagrams? <laughs> and yeah, like it does show how he's a good dad. But also like this is another case where it's like you see the show. It's like, haha, funny. And then when you leave the show and you think about it, it also is like a little bit morbid to me because when I listen to the song, I kind of think about like how I would feel as a parent if I had a kid that was going to die when they were 16. It's like, mm -hmm. would I want her to like experience like crushes and puppy love and prom and things like that? Or would I want to just kind of like keep her away from that and have her like live a happy, naive life kind of? Because mm -hmm. um, I feel like both are kind of sensible ways for a parent yeah. to feel maybe um but he's clearly just like no she's gonna die a virgin and i'm happy with that <laughs> oh my god i almost spit out my wine <laughs> <laughs> now i'm not trying to be mean and i don't mean to be a jerk but i remember how this goes and i know how the hormones work i know i'm getting hot 
coffee buddies all up in my face Cause you let him in my car What you know is sacred space Maybe you're just mad, I understand, but that's enough By the way, you didn't fool me with that share muffin stuff I may not be the brightest, but I'm smarter than I look And I know what boys are after, cause kid, I wrote the book Your mom and I had urges, I'm not saying that they're wrong But they come with repercussions, that's how babies come along Thinks maybe there's a chance, but I swear to God, Weedus, you're not getting in her pants. Understandably, Kimberly is just so embarrassed by this. And Kimberly like storms out of the car once they get there, and she's like, I hope you like drive into a ditch and die or something. Which <laughs> that does kind of lead us to like the act one finale, which is this time. Right. Solid beginning. Like the parents are sad, but we're all laughing. It is pretty funny buddy is just like yeah hey remember when you told me you hoped i would die like that's probably not a great thing and like to the parents credit they take the responsibility upon themselves he's like i should probably change and it's so funny because patty like her part you don't even see this on stage but she's like yeah you told me you were reading this book and it reminded you of me and the book happened to be medea and i thought that was really sweet and then i looked up what medea did by the way spoiler alert for medea she kills her children so she's like oh that might not be a good thing maybe i should be doing something different yeah this is also the act one finale and so like as they're singing this they're kind of like oh it's kim's birthday and we should do something they're like we should use her birthday as like a time to change and they set up this party and they invent all the ice skater people ice skating people and seth and Aunt Deborah and the whole family's there and the dad's kind of like I'm gonna stop drinking and it's like sort of a happy ending like she's like Kim's kind of she shows up she's surprised she's kind of like maybe this is a new beginning and I feel like she's also happy for like her unborn sibling kind of because she's just like I'm gonna die but it sounds like they're really gonna try now and like but the cutest part of this song is when the ice skaters are like it's friday night in bergen county and there's parties everywhere and we finally got invited because in the in the first song of the entire show they're like there's parties everywhere but like they're not there and here they're literally like so fucking happy to be at the same ice rink that they are at every other Friday with the same people plus someone's parents. And they're just like, yay, we got invited now to it's a party. party. <laughs> we both kind of expected um, Aaron, Delia, Martin, and Teresa to be like mean mean to. Uh-huh. Yeah. But they weren't. They were just really cute. They were just so happy to be invited. There's like like a four second dance break in the song when they're like and we finally got invited and they do a little dance and it's so adorable (laughs) i know this song is actually great truly underrated from what i remembered seeing after i listened to the cast album because just the like the prologue into um kimberly being so hopeful about everything and then also the whole rest of the ensemble being like yes this time finally something's working for us and also the ice skating like that blew my fucking mind the first time i saw it because they actually like ice skate on what looks like regular ground and i didn't realize that apparently there are like practice tiles or something that you can get and like obviously you can't go as fast as like actual ice but it does look like you can actually like ice skate i was so baffled by this the first time i saw it i was like are there like ball bearings inside the skates that are like hidden i was like so confused this time, oh, this time, 
Light spoiler warning. I feel like true spoilers start at the inevitable turn. I agree. Yeah. The inevitable turn is where, like, I feel like we should cut off people that don't want spoilers. Yeah. So we will mention that again when we get there, I guess. All right. So act two. How to wash a check. So at this point, Deborah has stolen a gigantic, like, USPS blue mailbox from the street. Which she's also, like, living in Kimberly's parents' basement. So you literally have a scene where you watch her drag the entire thing down the steps of the basement. (laughs) And, like, I don't know how she's living there because there's no bed. (laughs) It's a full-on, like, crime ensemble. Um (laughs) So she's got the mailbox. She's got like a printer and a glue trap. An acid bath or something? Something. Yeah. Whatever it takes to wash a check. Clearly, we didn't learn anything from this song. (laughs) So she convinces all of the kids in the show to help because um, the four weird kids are part of their choir and they really really want to win against a different school's choir called west orange (laughs) and they believe that in order to win they need these really expensive costumes so they decide that they're going to help wash checks for like a cut of the income i forget why kimberly's there but like seth's just there because he supports kimberly Well, so kimberly still wants her family to like you know be together as a family unit and she's like, oh, you know, maybe she wants if we to go went, on vacation. Yeah. She basically wants like a death trip. And her parents are like, we don't have the money. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Right. And yeah, Seth's is just there because he's nice. And at one point, Deborah's just like, everybody gets what they want. What do you want, Seth? And Seth's just like, you know what? I'm I'm happy with myself. He is like, um, he is like the puppy in Pussin Boots. <laughs> Oh my god, you're so right. <laughs> oh. He doesn't want anything. Like his life isn't even that great, but he's like, I'm good. I'm happy. He's like, I'm just here. I feel like the main takeaway from this song is that high schoolers don't make very good crime partners. <laughs> yeah. They fuck up like every single step. She's like, open the mailbox, drop in the glue trap. Some random high schooler was like, I don't need the glue trap to fish out the like checks like i can just shove my arm in and of course he gets his arm stuck in the mailbox but then the other girl gets the glue trap stuck to her head which is probably it's just like so funny because like everything's chaos and then just like you hear this one girl like the glue trap is stuck to my yeah it like all culminates to just everyone being like the glue trap is stuck to my head the mailbox is eating my arm and like all the high schoolers are just like singing this and Deborah's just like kill me (laughs) and then she starts threatening them she's like if we don't do this right nobody gets what they want and everybody goes to to jail jail. (laughs) but that doesn't even matter to anyone what really matters is when she's like I should have recruited the kids from West Orange to do this (laughs) the choir the choir foursome is just like absolutely not we are so much better than the west orange choir we got this and then apparently everything goes perfect after that honestly when i was watching her demonstrate it i was like wow is it really that easy to commit check fraud like why haven't we been doing this back in the day it's fine because nobody's like five years old (laughs) people still (laughs) use checks 
No, the show is probably like we can we can divulge this information because it's no longer applicable. <laughs> yeah. Tie the fish line. Right. Open the mailbox. Good. Now the glue top. You didn't peel it. Where's the fish line? What are you doing? The line is tangled. Jesus. These fumes are strong. What is happening? Who has the glue trap? I can't peel it. If you guys cock this up, nobody gets what they want. Nobody gets what they want. Nobody gets what they want. But also important to the plot, um, they're so they wipe out like the the ink from all the checks that people filled out, and they're making out the checks to Seth Wheatus, um, so that he will cash them in, which was not run by him before they told him that. He, like Deborah was just like, "You're gonna write Seth Wheatus on this," and Seth is like, "What?" So he did not know, but that is what's happening with these checks. Yeah, and the plan is Seth is gonna cash them as birthday checks that he got from a bunch of relatives and Kim is going to play his grandma. So Seth is a like goody two shoes. He's never done anything wrong. So he gets a song called good kid, which I honestly think is probably the most boring song on the album, but I, I don't hate it. Like it. It reminds me of perfect from jagged little pill, which also I think was the most boring kind song. Boring. Yeah. I like yeah. this one a little more than perfect. Does he sing this because he's like, okay, I'm interested in check fraud because I've been a good kid my like, whole life. Well, I think it's because he like likes Kimberly so much and he wants her to be happy. And in the end he's like, well, maybe if I do some like bad things, they can be for good, like Robin Hood or Frodo Baggins. And, and that's how he sort of justifies it. Like, you kind of, like, hear his life, and it's truly not that good either, which is why, like, the fact that he doesn't want anything is kind of a shock. Yeah. I think it's kind of like a classic trope, but it's just, like, his brother was kind of like a badass, and his brother has, like, the characteristics that sounds like a father's favorite, kind of, mm-hmm. like, sporty, troublemaking, like, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um. But then, like, it didn't work out well. Now his brother's in rehab and his mom is dead and his dad is just, like, super depressed. And he's just like, yeah. And, like, because my brother was so crazy, like, I just study and do anagrams and it has gotten me nowhere. (laughs) And it sounds like his dad has kind of, like, forgotten about him maybe. Like, he... It's just like you never really see his parents looking for him or anything. He's kind of always just on his own. I just keep jumping to the ending. Ending again is super questionable on Seth's part. Like with his life, I'm like, what is he doing? But we'll get there. It's fine. My father smokes in silence and paces in the yard. My brother goes to rehab. I study twice as hard. The good kid. The good. Son, what has it gotten me? So, Hello Baby. I love Hello Baby. This is like the dad's version of Hello Darling. So now Kimberly's dad is talking to the camcorder. And it kind of starts off the same. He's just like, look, last week I said I wasn't going to drink anymore. I'm not drinking. I promised Kim I wouldn't. I'm a good dad. If anyone tells you that I'm not a good guy, you have to defend me. Like, it really 
starts out the same, um, which is, you know, like funny. And it's kind of like interesting to see how they're like both so anxious um, about people thinking they're shitty people. But I think like the second half of the song ends up having like more meat to me than Hello Darling. Like it's almost kind of like a father time. It again makes me feel a little more empathetic to him. He's just like, yeah, like I'm happy you're coming. I'm happy to be a dad. But my life advice to you would be to not be a dad so early and like not settle down so early. Do whatever the fuck you want. Like join a rock band, travel the world, actually experience the world and life and everything before having a family, which like is sort of sound advice, but also is a shitty thing to be telling your kid kind of (laughs) when you're like about to have a kid. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like relatable because even people who aren't like bound to like fatherhood, even people who didn't have to get a boring, stable job because of an unexpected child can probably still relate to this because like a lot of people end up in like basic office jobs for a variety of reasons. And like in many cases, it's not even because something went wrong it's just like that's how society is it's like just in general like a what if song for people that are like yeah oh like used to be really cool in high school and then i did this and i did that and like i wonder how that would have went if i explored it more Mm -hmm. and i think it's like also because he talks about you know he wanted to be in a rock band and tour the country but i think the way that he frames it because he was like well i didn't do all these things because uh patty got pregnant it's it's interesting how he says it because he's like you know it's kind of easier when i didn't really have a choice because i had so many options but this was kind of just like all right here's what you got to do now and and i think that also just really makes him a lot more sympathetic too because you you can sort of understand that. Yeah. And he also tries to rationalize it by being like, well, there's nothing wrong with who I am now. A lot of people are dads. A lot of people go to work and come home, which I feel like is another way that the song is kind of just like reaching out to the audience a little bit because it's just like, yeah, that's probably like 99% of your audience at a Broadway yeah. show. Do the stupid stuff, baby. You have your whole Settle down, keep your options open for as long as you can, and see the world, see the world, see the world, that's my advice to Okay, so Skater Planet Reprise. I actually think this one is great. I think it's a little underrated. Um, it's all the teenagers. And they're talking about like kind of how shitty it is to be a teenager. And they're just like, but it's okay because being a teenager is temporary. This isn't like, you know, the peak of our lives. We have so much ahead of us. We could, you know, move to London, get a job. We could go, you know whatever like and they have all these options ahead of them and kimberly is just really silent because she knows that she doesn't have those options it probably like contributes to her breakdown in 
the next song. Right. But it's also interesting that it's like juxtaposed with Hello Baby, I guess, because yeah, that's probably how the dad was feeling. Like he's like, after high school, I have the world ahead of me. And then it's like, JK, you don't. Yeah. At what point does Aunt Deborah go up to the four ice skaters and is like, listen, you're gay, you're straight, you're gay, you're straight. It's not going to work out. Is it in oh, How no, to Wash a Check? So because it was getting in the way of them washing the check. I, I think maybe, yeah. That was that was so funny. That was a great moment. She's like, I'm so tired of watching these kids suffer. Let me just tell you, <laughs> yeah. this is not going to work out for any of you. <laughs> Honestly, our disease, again, like a very funny song. And, it's and I do like think anagram. this is... It's yeah, like this, it, this knocking in your head of scurvy. <laughs> so there are three groups because each of the kids have a partner and they talk about a disease. The first one is scurvy. The The second one is fasciolosis. But it's funny because like, so these are the two girls presenting together. One of them is just like, my father had this. And the other one is just obviously going along. And she's like, yeah, one of the symptoms is diarrhea. And the other girl's like, I've heard all about our father's diarrhea. Like, all right. <laughs> what a friendship. <laughs> yeah. So and and I think this is another song where I, I feel like the orchestrations really do a lot of work because each of the diseases has a very specific feel to it just based on who's telling you about the disease. And then you get to um, Kim and Seth, and they are, of course, talking about Kim's disease. And the whole song is titled Our Disease. But then Kim is like, oh, we're talking about my disease. And then it becomes like personal to her. And Seth starts listing out all the, the symptoms. And Kimberly is like, oh, my God, this was a mistake. They're all looking at me. They know I have this like this. They they think I'm a freak, like, et cetera, et cetera. Like, she has so many great lines in this part because she gets really angry about it and she's like they're all staring at me and it comes out of um, nowhere because like we were previously saying the entire show she seems to just like have like accepted her disease and is just like okay with it like remains pretty optimistic as a person despite everything and when I think about it like when I think about like if I were a teenager standing in a classroom looking like a 90 year old like talking doing a presentation about the disease that I have like I'm like yeah it totally makes sense that she would break down like that Mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense to me but just like because of the character that the show has built her up as through like the last two hours I was shocked that she reacted this way Mm -hmm. and she's just like kind of super cutting about it like she says um, look at how they're looking at me like I'm a slide, I'm a chart, I'm a freak on display, exhibit A. Well, what about exhibit B? You want to know what I see? Your disease is a bad case of adolescence. And she like lists a bunch of things that they're concerned about, like over-concerned about a science grade, about football games, who's getting laid, who go- who's got a zit, who's wearing what, who gives a shit. Your disease is a tough one. Getting older is my affliction, but getting older is your cure. And it turns into this sort of like, big broadway finish kind of sound like it's like i don't remember if she actually does it but it sounds like there would be a kick line but she's like yeah look at this this is a show like i'm just here in front of you you're watching this happen and she's just so bitter about it which like understandable but like you said she was so fine with it earlier in the show that it it feels like it comes out of nowhere but you you kind of know that she's been bottling it up the entire time And that doesn't really get resolved, right? Like, she kind of leaves and then shows up at home for the next song. Right. 
Getting older is your cure. But for me, there is no cure for you. People with my disease live longer than 16 years. And I just turned 16. The the next song, the inevitable, and oh my god, I can never say this. The inevitable turn. This is, is where spoilers begin, right? Because all the parents promised to do better. They're having a family dinner, and it's all four of them: the two parents, Deborah and Kimberly. And the way the song starts starts is that Kimberly shows up and she's just so happy about the family being together, which is quite an abrupt change from the end of our disease. So that, especially on the album, threw me off a little. Yeah, so she shows up at home and her parents are cooking and everything just like seems like ridiculously nice, like the table is set and everything. And it's like a direct manifestation, I guess, of her make-a-wish wish yeah that she didn't actually wish where she was like i want a home-cooked meal with cherry cheesecake i think like they even have a cheesecake or something mm-hmm. so as they like have this dinner conversation there's this sort of foreboding and the the piano line behind this is also kind of ominous it's a little creepy but at first it sounds like everything's going great and kimberly like mentions that oh my god how great it is like you know be a family together they each sort of take a turn singing and they always say like oh well you know like it's going so great but when are we going to take a turn like the inevitable turn we're going to like start saying stuff that we either shouldn't be saying or like don't want to actually be saying and the truth of why they moved before comes out which is that deborah accidentally killed their neighbor by sneaking in with a pig mask because she wanted to scare him which buddy told her to do because the neighbor had slept with patty because patty wanted to make sure that the child that she was carrying didn't have the same genetic defect it was a whole mess like that was a lot to put in one song and even like before this whole mess comes out i think like just the idea of that ominous voice of like there's the inevitable turn just shows like how dysfunctional this family is and Mm -hmm. i think like since we are talking about schoolers now is like ultimately one of the reasons why kim is like fuck this these are not the people that i want to spend the last days of my life with because it's just like everything can be perfect in the moment like things can be going so well but they just can't like let good things last kind of like they're just all so dysfunctional and not and they hold grudges really happy with each other yeah and like just like no matter what when they start talking like after half an hour or whatever like shitty things are gonna come up and they're gonna throw hands again and like that's just how this family is so yeah patty sleeps with what sounds like an old man because they keep calling him like mr something (laughs) and because he has like heart problems (laughs) that's why he died She's like, I would rather have a child with a weak heart, which is rational, actually. But 
the dad knows and is basically okay with it. Like, he was mad enough to ask Deborah to go scare him, but, like, he still seems to be, like, looking forward to this baby. And That is, I guess, what's cool about these characters because they are pretty flushed out in terms of their motivations, what they want, how they go about it, everything like that. Um, but what I actually wanted to ask you is, did you feel like the turntable was kind of on the nose? Wait, I don't think I noticed. You know, I don't so, notice turntables. Well, <laughs> it, it, there's literally one turntable and it's literally just for this song. And it's just the dining table with like the chairs around it. And as they sing the inevitable turn, they're on a turntable turning around. I clearly have a problem recognizing turntables because I didn't know that there was one in Hamilton. It's fine. You didn't notice the boat. And then when I saw Hades Town and I saw a turntable, I was like texted you immediately. I was like, (laughs) like, there's a turntable. And I saw it. (laughs) Cindy recognizes lyrics. I recognize turntables. That's how our relationship goes. (laughs) No matter how well things are going, it always takes a turn. No matter how happy we seem, there's always a turn. Just below the pleasant chatter, we're aware of a steady burn that'll flare. We push it down. So at the end of the song, I think like basically the aunt and the mom and the dad are just fighting now over this thing that happened. Um, Kimberly finds out that that's the real reason they had to move to New Jersey because they're sort of responsible for killing their neighbor. So she has like a panic attack or something and passes out and ends up in the hospital. Also, it's a little like wild how they do this in the music because you you have this constant piano riff that was going through the inevitable turn and it just turns into this like pulsing that turns into a heart monitor that leads to her in the hospital this whole time again victoria clark is actually like 63 years old but she's dressed like a teenager would be like in the first scene you see her, she has one of those candy necklaces, which is why it's on the playable cover. She has like the butterfly clips in her hair mm-hmm. and all that. And she just is dressed very much like a teenager would be. And she's obviously really great at assuming that demeanor, like even if she looks like an old lady. But then you see her in the hospital and it's a little, a little shocking because, you know, like old people in the hospital is kind of a thing that you see and you're just not used to seeing her in that way yeah that's a really good point yeah i really like now tell me about now so seth shows up at the hospital to hang out with kim and i think like she's not super happy he's there or something like Mm -hmm. i think maybe like she feels guilty that they're such good friends and she's gonna die but like she's just not that thrilled and seth's mom has died so she sort of he sort of like references that he's like i know people die but like i'm here for you and i'm not gonna let you push me away i brought like card games and magazines and like whatever the fuck you want to do we can do any of these things or we can do other things or we can sit here and do nothing but I am going to be here and like tomorrow we'll do the same thing um, or not. And tomorrow we'll come anyhow or not, which is like kind of clever and cute because it's like, I don't know, like everyone says like tomorrow will come anyhow. And he's just like, or not, because you could literally die. But like 
whatever. We're here doing, like, we're here now hanging out, and that's what matters. I'm, like, again, still really shocked why he's such good friends with her. Yeah. Or we can just sit here and watch a dumb movie. I'll do whatever you say. I'll sit here beside you and talk till we're tired. Then we can call it a day. And tomorrow we'll do the same or not. But tomorrow will come anyhow or not. And if not, well, there's now. And then we go to a reprise of How to Wash a Check. And Deborah's like, you know, again, like train conducting the whole thing. She's like, who's the getaway driver? Who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? This is what we're going to do. And yeah, and and Kim is supposed to be like acting as Seth's grandma, which also the moment she walked on stage in her like grandma get up again, truly shocking. I was like, oh, my God, she's old. And then don't they like fuck over Deborah? Don't they not give her any of the money or something? (laughs) Yeah. Well, because like in the finale, you see that she actually goes and gets a job at Costco. How can you know that this isn't going on in your basement? Like, (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like both Buddy and Patty were probably just like, you know, the less we know about what the fuck Deborah's up to, it's probably better for us legally. Like we have plausible (laughs) deniability here. Take the Honda out to Woodbridge, up to Teaneck, then Route Four. Then why stop in Maywood? That's the score. And everybody gets what they want, 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 want. Everybody gets what they want. Good. Before I go, I thought it was actually really heartbreaking. And because she gets back from the whole check washing stuff and she goes to her room and finds out that her parents have turned it into a nursery. Um, I don't remember what they tell her. Do they say like, oh, you can stay in the guest room or something? Like, I don't remember. So finally they have a guest room. The aunt's in the basement. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Yeah. They like completely dismantle her entire room. And and like before I go, is her just confronting her parents and being like, hey, I'm still here. She talks about like, oh, like there's a ghost of a girl I'll never be. And she says like, oh, that girl would be able to like be young and bold and she'd hold your hand when you got old before i go let's give up the ghost which i thought was a really great turn of phrase Mm -hmm. and this is the part that i i really thought was like you know classic musical theater but that i still love and as she's singing this like um patty comes in with father time and she's like oh you know slow down the day like baby wants to play and then at the same time um buddy comes in with like go see the world you know and that's I don't know if that's necessarily how Kimberly made her decision, but that is what she decides to do. And and then that ends up leading into to the finale, which is great adventure. She basically like confronts her parents and like sort of like forces them to admit that like she's not the they were shitty parents. They <laughs> yeah, but like again, the things you were saying of like they want a daughter that's young and bold that will be there for them when they're like aging are like reasonable requirements from parents it's not Mm -hmm. like they're asking like the world of their child you know yeah they're kind of just like yeah i want my child to experience childhood and live longer than us like all incredibly reasonable things in a way um so i feel like in this like 
when I'm seeing the show, I'm like kind of mad at the parents, like really feeling for Kimberly. But it's kind of, again, like one of those things where like when you think about the show and realize how much more serious it actually is. So before I go, take my hand. Before I fly away, say goodbye. I will go somewhere that's beautiful. I'll go somewhere that's beautiful. It's time to let me go. Father time. Let me go. Slow down the day. Let me fly away. It's time. So, so yeah, she does go see the world, but like a caveat is she takes Seth with her. Right. And this is the question I have. They're 16. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure at 16, you can't even bungee jump without a parental waiver. Maybe they're just like, well, she looks really old. So we're <laughs> going to take her word that she is an adult, but they're super happy. They're just like, yeah, we're going to go do everything. Most of the time with this show it's happy and i'm happy and then i come home and i think about like how messed up it is but with <laughs> this one i was just confused the whole time i don't remember when but kim and seth like did share like a peck at some point yeah. before mm-hmm. this right and so it's like they're sort of dating maybe not like they clearly really like each other kimberly is like literally could die any minute and they are apparently driving like thousands of miles away from home potentially to just like do everything they wanted to do or do everything that Kim wanted to do. Right. And I'm just so worried for Seth in this song because I'm like in two months, he's going to drive home with a corpse. I feel like she needs to put aside a fund of getting him home after she dies. Like, <laughs> it is like kind of cool in the staging because you see like home videos of all the stuff that they're doing like you see like a giraffe as they go on a safari or something and i think you see the mom with her new baby so it's still like we don't see her die it ends on a really happy note like they're probably literally at disneyland or something which is yeah what i was concerned about at intermission i was like are we gonna have to watch her die which right i think it did end on a good note of her being like i'm gonna go see the world i'm gonna do all the things i wanted to do yeah So just, just enjoy, enjoy the ride, ride because no one gets a second time around. So we already talked about how this is probably up for best musical. Yeah. Um, do you feel like there's any other strong contenders or is this like pretty much a shoe in? I mean, probably closest would be some like it hot, but I don't think it's like that close. New York, New York, and Shucked both have yet to open. Um, Shucked, if it really lives up to the hype, honestly, their ads have been fantastic. And Juliet is the other option, which I think it's a great show, but I don't think it has like the emotional resonance that Kimberly Akimbo does. Yeah, there's like a, a lot of shows that I feel like I enjoy more than this, but this does feel like it strikes a balance between like a crowd pleaser and what 
the Tony Award people are looking for. Yeah. Do you think it'll actually win score? Well, if we talk about just like what could be nominees for best score, I would definitely say like Kimberly Kimbo, K-pop, Some Like It Hot, possibly New York, New York or Shocked, and then maybe Bad Cinderella if one of those other scores are bad. Everyone's talking about Victoria Clark for best actress also for Kimberly. I know a lot of people have Bonnie Milligan listed as like featured actress. I don't know. It's probably a tough category. Do you think Bonnie Milligan will at least get nominated? I think it's very possible. But I mean, and Juliet, I think Anne Hathaway is the favorite for now. Is the nurse in Anne Juliet also going to get nominated? Oh, that's true. That could be a possibility. They're the stepmother or the queen in Bad Cinderella. I've heard both of those are, I mean, they're they're good parts. They're like very, um, you know, camp. Into the Woods, possibly Philippa Sue for Cinderella. So I feel like Bonnie, Bonnie Milligan definitely has a shot, but not necessarily guaranteed. What do you think they should perform for the Tonys? I feel like probably, this is not like what I would want them to perform, but I feel like they could go with this time. Right? Like, that's the that's whole company. Too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, it's a good song. It's like a really great ensemble song. I would like prefer to watch them do like How to Wash a Check or something, but that's yeah. okay. Like, How to Wash a Check doesn't really show, doesn't represent the show enough, I think. If, if Bonnie Milligan gets nominated, maybe they'll do How, how to Wash a Check, you know? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Start of a new season, so stay tuned as we go through all the other new musicals this season. And you can do that by subscribing to us on any of the podcast platforms that you're currently listening to this on. And you can also follow us on both Twitter and Instagram at Bottomless B-Way. Or if you want to talk to us directly, you can email us at bottomlessbway at gmail.com. So stay tuned, and we will be back in a few weeks with our next episode. So see you Because